Johnny and Brian, thank you very much for the very kind words of welcome. Returning here to Sinfield Baptist Church. Always a joy to be here with you today. And we pray that God will continue to bless the work and witness of the church in this community. I also take the opportunity of, for, to thank you for all your uh, interest, support and encouragement for the work of Acre Gospel Mission, Acre International. And just off the press on Thursday this week, we have our, a new quarterly magazine, and uh, I'll be at the door. Please pick up a copy, take it home, read it, digest it, and do pray, continue to pray for the work of God. Uh, one of our colleagues of many years gone by, Robin McCready, I met Robin way back 1962. He was going to the Faith Mission uh, Bible College. I was going to the WEC Bible College. We met on the Glasgow boat. We didn't know that our lives would be intertwined so much in the Lord's work in future years. When I got to the Mishra School of Medicine in London, uh, Robin was there with us for a year. And then after that, a year later, Audrey and I arrived in Brazil in April, May uh, 1965. And in December of that same year, Robin arrived. And, um, well, Robin at the moment is at death's door. Uh, it is expected within a number of hours that he'll pass into the presence of his Lord. And uh, undoubtedly, he will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Many of you will remember Robin McCready for his uh, musical ministry. He's been singing around many of the churches, and God has made him a blessing. And we thank God for the memory of his servant. However, let us this morning turn to the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 52. We were praying this morning about the portion of Scripture we felt drawn to, and uh, we feel drawn to this portion of Scripture. Mr. Spurgeon, at the beginning of one of his services, he said, the business of this house is Jesus Christ. I know that is the business of this house this morning as we gather in his name to worship and to exalt his precious name. And that's the business of this chapter, written some 600 years before the Lord Jesus came to earth, and yet it's all about him. Listen to these words in verse 13 of Isaiah chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted, extolled, and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And amen, God always blesses to us the reading of his sacred word. A cursory glance through any hymn book, you will bring up the name of Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts was not only a minister, he was the son of the man. His father was a minister. Isaac Watts was a preacher, an author, a theologian. But he is best known as a hymn writer and has given to us some of the best known and best loved hymns that we sing. Although he lived 300 years ago, yet his hymns continue with us today. And amongst the best known is the hymn, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. When he wrote those words way back in the 18th century, why people in the church were taken aback because it caused a stir. They said, we don't use personal pronouns in our hymns. His hymn is full of it. When I survey the wondrous cross, uh, why it's all about what the Lord Jesus has done for us. I say that this morning because although it caused a stir at his particular time, because of the personal pronouns, when we come to this servant song of Isaiah, it also is filled with personal pronouns. When we speak of the death of our Lord Jesus, we speak of the vicarious death of Jesus Christ. That is, he took our place, he died for us, he bore our son, sin, on his body on the tree. And therefore, there is a parallel with the writing of Isaac Watson, the writing of this chapter, in both songs, it's all about Christ who died for us. Now, when we come to this, it is quite amazing that it's known as the servant song of Isaiah. We generally associate song with happiness and gladness, with the sense of success, the sense of riches, or rather, rise to riches. Uh, the upscale, it makes us happy. However, in this song, it sounds more like a sob. It is not so much rags to riches. It is a sense of riches to rags. It begins in verse uh, 13 of chapter 52. Behold my servant. What does it say of him? He is exalted. He is extolled. He is very high. This is Christ in all of his glory. And yet, we find our Lord Jesus emptying himself. The Bible reminds us over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that he who was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. He emptied himself. He gave himself for us. We were the condemned, but he bore our guilt on his body on the tree so that today, as Christians, we can say there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the sense of song is because our Lord Jesus came. It brought the good news for us. Why the angels said, 
Behold, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. However, this is not only a song, the servant song of Isaiah, the fourth of four servant songs, but this also is a prophecy. A prophecy is that which foretells something that is to come. The prophet Isaiah, whose name simply means salvation is of the Lord, he was prophesying, foretelling about the coming Lord Jesus Christ. And in this book of Isaiah, it tells us how he was born, where he was born, what his name would be, and how he lived. And and here we read all about his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his his exaltation to glory. It's all about our Lord Jesus. And the amazing thing is, although it was written 600 years before Jesus Christ came, yet the detail of this chapter seems that it was written at Calvary. More detail is given to us about what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary here in this chapter than is told for us in the Gospels of Mark, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is said of Winston Churchill that someone asked him one day, what does it take to be successful in politics? To this, Mr. Churchill said, well, to be successful in politics, you must have the ability to foretell what's going to happen next week, next month, and next year. Be able to foretell it in detail, and then when it doesn't happen, you've got to be able to explain why it didn't happen. Can I say that God's messengers, God's prophets, they never had to explain why it never happened. The Bible reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that these men were moved of the Holy Spirit to write of the things that they themselves did not understand. They were writing about the coming of Christ. And so it was with Isaiah. Isaiah as a prophet, why he had a lot of confidence As a boy of 18, he met the Savior, the Bible reminds us. In the year that his king died, he saw the Lord, high and exalted up. His heart was broken. The the Holy Spirit came and touched his lips and put a passion in his heart. And for the next 60 years, with confidence, he spoke the word of the Lord, brought the message of the Lord to the nation of Israel. Not only had he a lot of confidence, he had a lot of courage. He was speaking against the nation, bringing God's word. He was not a popular prophet in his day. Not only against Judah, but against Egypt, against the surrounding nations. Why? He had a lot of courage, but a lot of confidence. And yet, in this very book, he brought comfort to Israel. He not only opened the wound with the sword, he poured in the oil. He poured in the wine. He brought comfort and healing. And so the message of Isaiah is, comfort you, comfort you, my people. This is a word of comfort. We are coming this morning to this particular part of this prophecy of Isaiah. The portion of scripture that we read, Mr. Spurgeon called it the gospel of the Old Testament. And so it is. Someone said that here is the Mount Everest of prophecy taking us to the very zenith of the hill where our Lord Jesus Christ, he came from the glory, and yet they crucified the Lord of glory. Someone else said, it's not Everest we're coming to, 
It is Calvary we're coming to. Not so high a hill, but the place where our Redeemer died, as we quote it for the boys and girls, there is a green hill far away without that city wall where our dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. And so we come with reverence to this portion of Scripture. It's all about our Lord Jesus this morning. As we come to this portion of Scripture, there is so much to say about it that it's hard to contain it in such a short place. Can I say that when Handel was writing the Messiah, it is said that when he came to Isaiah chapter 53 and to tell of our blessed Lord Jesus that tears soaked the page of the Scriptures and melted his heart, so may it do for us as we consider what the Lord Jesus, not only what he endured, but what he did for us. It was our transgressions. It is in this portion of Scripture, he was bruised for our iniquities. Our chastisement was put upon him. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. My friend, therefore, this morning, we come with a sense of reverence to this portion of Scripture. As we come, I just want us to underline a few things about it. First of all, I suggest to you that we come to look at the majesty of this song. Uh, It comes to us in verse 13 of chapter 52. Behold, that is, look at my servant. Fill your vision full of him. Incidentally, can I say, that this portion of Scripture, this Isaiah chapter 53 and this portion of Isaiah 52, is the most quoted portion of Scripture in the New Testament, the most quoted Old Testament Scripture that is repeated in the New Testament. Some 70 times the Apostle Paul in his writings referred to Isaiah 53. It must have been his favorite chapter. Well, it might be. Well, it might be because, as I say, as we come to this chapter, it is filled. Look at my servant. Behold my servant. See him in his exaltation. In the verses that are before us, that is verse 13 through to verse 15, why they take in these three verses, and the whole of the song is into 15 verses. Each stanza is divided up into five parts with each stanza having three verses. And in this first stanza, I say to you this morning that when we behold the servant of Jehovah, we see his glory. Look at what it says in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted, extolled, and be very high. We were singing about it this morning. Far above all, far above all, Jesus the crucified is far above all. There is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. And this is the name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Behold him in his glory. But if you look at the next verse, it reminds us that we behold him in his grief. As many were astonished at thee, his visage, his appearance, was so marred more than any man. In some translations it puts as if he was not human. Remember that he was delivered into the hand of the soldiers. 
those soldiers not only saw him as he bent his back and the smiter came with the whip to scourge him. That whip is laced with fine bones and you can hear the crack of the whip as it comes across the bare back of our Lord Jesus turning into the flesh and ripping the, sinew, ripping the, the, the blood vessels until the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah his back was as a furrowed field. This is our blessed Lord. Not once, but 39 times, turning into the back of the Lord Jesus. And then these soldiers took him from there. And they covered those wounds with a purple robe. And they mocked him. Someone has said that in this 100 soldiers, why the victim would pass along and they would batter him and bruise him until his visage was more marred than any man. They then took that purple robe upon him and put a crown of thorns into his head. And as those thorns pierced his head, they took a staff and beat the thorns into the brow of our blessed Lord Jesus. They healed him as a king. There's no anointing oil. No anointing oil for this king. So soldiers emptied their throats as they spat upon him and mocked him. His visage more marred. This is the grief of our Savior. This is the man of sorrows. This is the one who is despised and forsaken. This is the one who is acquainted with all of our grief. He's doing it for us. And from that judgment hall, they sent him to be crucified. And when we come to the cross of Calvary, my friend, I suggest to you this morning that you can hear the thud of iron upon iron as they pierce the hands and the feet of our Lord Jesus, and lift them up on the cross. I say this to you this morning. This is not just a Roman crucifixion. This is God's altar. This is God's lamb. This is God's sacrifice. This is our Savior. He did it all for us. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. There are blessed Lord surrounded by soldiers and and by religious zealots who mocked him, cried out against him. But at midday, the very heavens were darkened, and he was enveloped in darkness. Yet in that darkness, he prayed for forgiveness for his persecutors. He prayed for his disciples. My friend, he prayed for us on the cross of Calvary. And in the darkness of that hour, those hours, a soldier came and shunted the spear into the side. Was there ever suffering like the suffering of our Lord? His visage was more marred than that of any man. This is the majesty of it, for this is the King of glory. Behold him. Behold him in his glory, exalted and very high. Behold him on the cross. And yet when you come to this verse 15... So shall he sprinkle many nations. This is the office of a priest. Sprinkling. The precious blood was sprinkled on the altar. Reminding us, my friend, of our blessed Lord. You see, in in this, it's not only the, the glory of our Lord. Look at his glory. Look at his grief. Look at his grace. The Lord Jesus who was crucified. My friend, he stands today as our great Savior. And in this sense, as he sprinkles grace, verse 15 says, So shall he sprinkle many nations. 
The king shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told him shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. The apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 15, he quotes this very scripture in relation to the preaching of the gospel. My friend, from the work of Calvary's cross, God is dispensing, sprinkling grace upon the nations. As we prayed in the prayer meeting this morning, he is building his church. He's bringing in the redeemed. And we thank God for what God is doing in Brazil in great numbers. People seeking and coming to the Lord. They're, they're, they're coming in. We sometimes sing the hymn, Grace is flowing like a river. Millions there have been supplied. Still it flows as free as ever from our Savior's wounded side. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus, because of the grief that he bore, thank God today he's dispensing grace. It is because of his grace that we're here this morning. Because of his grace that we are saved this morning. That we are forgiven. We sing amazing grace. How sweet this is. Our blessed Lord is dispensing that grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I say again to you this morning, when we look at this song, we, we see something of the majesty of the song. But there's something also of what we might call the melody of the song. Because as you open Isaiah chapter 53 itself, you, you have this sense of the suffering of our Lord, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. As I've already said to you this morning, the song, 12 verses in Isaiah chapter 53 and 3 verses in 52 uh, come together to give us 15 verses. It is divided up in the Jewish Bible by, by five stanzas, each one giving to us three verses. Does we have it in our King James Bible or whatever Bible you have, it, it, it is in the three verses. I say that to you this morning because there's been a lot of emphasis put upon the fact that there are five stanzas. Someone has said the number five is important because of the Pentateuch. Pentateuch just simply means five books. Those are the books of Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch, five books. I tend to think of what others say. It is not so much that the Pentateuch, the five books of our Lord Jesus, uh, about our Lord Jesus, but the five offerings in the book of Leviticus. The five offerings that were... Uh, Celebrated in Israel were the burnt offering, the meal offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering. And in this chapter, it reminds us our Lord Jesus made himself an offering for sin. In the burnt offering, in the burnt offering, the whole of the, the offering was consumed. Nothing was given to anyone. It was totally for the Lord. May I... Say, that's exactly how it is with our blessed Lord Jesus. He came to do the Father's will. The Father not only sent him into the world, the Father did not spare him on the cross of Calvary. And in the darkness of those hours of Calvary, the Father turned his back upon the Lord Jesus as the Savior cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was a burnt offering. The melody of it is not only the, the burnt offering that was wholly consumed by God, but the meal offering. Why, in the second stanza, it speaks here of the tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. It is that offering that was mingled with oil and flour, the meal offering. This is our Lord Jesus. 
the tender plant and the root of the dry ground reminds us that he was absolutely different. In his life, he was peerless, sinless, the blessed Son of God, the meal offering. He is also to be seen in what is known as the peace offering. Look at what it says in verse 5, which is the, the center of the third stanza, when it says this word, he made his soul an offering for sin. The chastisement, rather, uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. This is our Lord Jesus. The Bible reminds us he made peace by the blood of his cross. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. My friends, thank God this morning we are accepted in the beloved and the peace of God keeps our hearts and minds. Did you know that the peace of God is to be our guide? That is peace that is given by the Holy Spirit. The book of Colossians reminds us that the peace of God rule, be the umpire of your life. He made peace for us. Reconciliation was brought for us to the Father. He is the peace of, he is the sin offering, as we've already quoted Verse 9, he made his life, he made himself an offering for sin. And in the trespass offering, that is the guilt offering, it tells us he poured out his life unto death. He died for us, he took our place. My friend, I say again this morning that the, the melody of the song is all about Jesus in his death and what he did for us. There is a mystery about this song. Until the 12th century, uh, the Jewish rabbis taught that this was about the coming Messiah. Uh, since then, there have been lots of different ideas about this song of Isaiah, the servant song. Some would tell us it's all about Israel. No nation has ever suffered so much as Israel. I'm not only talking of the last world war and terrible holocaust. But over the centuries, they have suffered, and to this day, they're being persecuted. But it's not a, it's not a song about a, a nation. Why, it reminds us here that the Savior made his soul an offering for sin. Did Israel make itself an offering for its sin? It can't do. It can't be Israel that it says that there was no guile in him, there's no sin in him. Why, this could not be Israel. Other people say, why, it's a, it's a psalm all about the prophet. The prophet suffered. Of the prophet Isaiah, it is said of him that when it quotes over there in Hebrews chapter 11 of those who were sawn asunder, it was speaking of Isaiah. He died a martyr's death. He paid the price. But this could not be Isaiah. Isaiah was put to death, but it wasn't your death and my death. It wasn't a vicarious death. He didn't take our place. This is not a nationalistic chapter. It's not about a nation. It's not about a person. Over there in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, we read of the evangelist Philip caught away to the desert. And in the desert, he met a chariot carrying back to Ethiopia, the treasurer of that country. He'd been to Jerusalem for sacrifice. He'd been to Jerusalem for the Passover, but he was coming back 
His heart was still empty, but he had a copy of the book of Isaiah, opened at Isaiah chapter 53. And as Philip joined him on the, cha- on the chariot, the eunuch asked, of whom does this chapter speak? Does it speak of himself or does it speak of another? And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 that beginning at the same scriptures, Philip preached unto him Jesus. It's all about Jesus. As I've said, it's about his glory, his grief, his grace to all of us. The majesty of the song, the melody of the song, the mystery of the song. Can I say something about the miracle of this song? Uh, uh, The miracle of this song is that our Lord Jesus, he fulfilled all of these scriptures. Over there in John chapter 20 and verse 19, I think it is, our Lord Jesus, before he gave up his spirit, it says this word, the Lord Jesus, knowing that all scriptures were now fulfilled, gave up the cause. Isn't that amazing? Uh, When we take the pain and the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross, his side is riven. My friend, he's nailed to the cross. Yet his mind is clear to survey all of the scriptures. And knowing that all was fulfilled, he gave up the ghost. You see, there is a miracle of inspiration that Isaiah was to write this 600 years before Jesus came. But there is also the, the miracle of completion that our Lord Jesus actually did all of this in his death upon the cross of Calvary. The majesty... The melody, the mystery, the miracle of the song. But can I finish by saying something about the ministry of the song? We've read this, I'm sure, many times. I remember at Sunday school, we had to memorize this chapter, Isaiah 53. When I went to Bible college, we had to memorize Isaiah chapter 53. When we went to Brazil, we had to memorize it in Portuguese. It's a great chapter. But my friend, the chapter would mean nothing if it doesn't touch our lives. If it doesn't do something to us and for us. It is said of Count Sindendorf, Nicholas Ludwig Sindendorf, was born into one of the leading families of Europe. He studied at the University of Heidelberg And after finishing his studies at Heidelberg, he decided that he would visit the great art galleries of Europe. He went to Wittenberg. He went to all museums and palaces and universities. But when he came to Dusseldorf, he saw Fetty's famous painting called Echo Homo, Behold the Man. And there... There is a portrait of the crucified Christ. And Sindendorf, when he saw it, he was smitten in his heart. He trusted Christ as Savior. But underneath it, Fetty had written these words, All this I did for thee. What hast thou done for me? That challenged Sindendorf so much that he turned his back on his privileged background, gave it all up, to become a missionary, to touch the world. And not only him, 
But those who followed him, why they touched every continent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus did all of this for him. My friend, can I say he did all of it for us? Is it any wonder that Isaac Watts wrote those words? Were the whole realm of glory mine? That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Isaac Watts. Francis Ridley Havergill, 200 years after Sindendorf had gone to Dusseldorf, Francis Ridley Havergill, an, Ameri- uh, uh, an English poet, didn't enjoy good health. I have a friend who actually has her Bible. She died at 48 years of age, having spent over 20 years bedridden. But as a young woman, she had gone to the health spa in Germany, and on her way to Germany, she visited Dusseldorf. And she went to the same museum, and there she saw the famous painting that had touched the life of Count Sindendorf. And when she read those words, all this I did for thee, what hast thou done for me? She took a piece of paper and a pen and she wrote something and then she didn't like it. She crumbled it up and threw it in the bin. Someone rescued it from the bin and it's in our hymn books. She wrote these words, My life, my life was given for thee. My precious blood was shed that thou mightst ransom be and quicken from the dead. My life, my life was given for thee. What hast thou done for me? I say again this morning, we could look through this and see the majesty, the melody, see the mystery, the miracle of this song, and yet it not have a ministry to our heart. All this he did for us. May we be prepared to do what he wants in our lives. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you will take these faltering words and bless them to our hearts. And our Father, we ask of thee that in the light of Calvary, you will help us to come with full and glad surrender to give unto thee that which you not only deserve, but, O oh God, we want to surrender all to thee. Bless thy word to all of our hearts, we ask. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Do we have a closing hymn, Johnny? Oh, there we go. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe.